0: Thank you for listening to a Vietnam podcast by 7 million Bytes. My name is Neil McKay and I'm your regular host. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm taking a break from hosting season nine. I wanted to bring some fresh voices to you. So, I have an unbelievable lineup of guest hosts coming to you throughout season nine, interviewing people connected to Vietnam and sharing their story. I want to give a massive thank you to all the members of the 7 Million Bikes community. This podcast wouldn't exist without your support. It means so much to me and it keeps me going and it keeps me producing episodes for you. So even though I'm taking a break from hosting, I'm still fully here making sure that we have quality episodes every week for you to listen to. If you are interested in joining the 7 Million Bikes community, the link is in the show notes. You can join for as little as $90,000 a month, which is a few bucks. You can stop at any time. You'll get episodes early. You'll get free tickets to comedy shows and quiz nights. And you'll get invites to special member-only events, like our birthday party that we just had, which was only for guests and 7 Million Bikes community members. So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. It really means so much to have your support. We can't produce this show without him. Also, a massive thank you to Gary McLean, our audio engineer, for season 9. Lewis Wright for creating the theme music to a Vietnam podcast, which still gets more compliments than the actual podcast itself. But I'm not bitter because it is amazing. So thank you so much to Lewis for creating that. It's an amazing piece of music, and also for all the support that Lewis gives technically and with equipment. He's another person that this podcast couldn't exist without. Thank you to everyone that supported in any way, and of course a massive special thanks to my wife, Adrienne Lopez McKay the number one fan of a Vietnam podcast and who without none of this would be possible. So massive thank you to her and everyone else involved to make this happen. So again, thank you so much to all of our guest hosts this season. Thank you so much to our guests and thank you to you for listening. Enjoy season nine of a Vietnam podcast.
1: Welcome to 7 Million Bikes Vietnam Podcast. I am Paul Villanova, and I will be your guest host coming from both Down Under and the North somehow, did the couple of Vietnam. In this episode, we'll be talking about what it's like to move to Vietnam to be a professional athlete and how that experience has shaped who they are. Myself, I moved to Vietnam in 2019 after a long-term breakup to be a basketball coach. Since moving to Vietnam, I've gained the courage to try new things like comedy that I would never have had the courage to try if I had not moved abroad. I've run and performed in comedy shows all over Vietnam, as well as returning to coaching basketball as a living, as COVID conditions have improved. My guest today is a professional basketball player, national team captain, business owner and entrepreneur, Justin Young. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Okay, Justin,
2: so let's talk to you about where did you grow up? I grew up in, in the U.S. I grew up in Southern California, a small little city outside east of Los Angeles called Monterey Park. I mean, I was born in 93, so been living for almost 30 years now. So, yeah, I grew up in the U.S. In my whole life and decided to come out here in 2016 in Vietnam.
1: Okay, and your parents met there?
2: Yeah, both of my parents met in the US. Actually, they were both from Vietnam and then they moved to the US after the war and they met somehow in LA. I don't know their backstory (laughs) and I was born. (laughs) Oh yeah. And what do your parents do for work? Uh, My dad is a mechanic. He does complete auto repairs for any kind of car. He has his own business and my mom helps him out with the front office work and just helping out with his business. It's been like that since they met.
1: Yeah. yeah, I have sort of had that in common. My uh, uncle and all the Villanovas in my home city are all mechanics. And they have an American four-wheel drive business and they import all American 4 drive stuff and put lifts on Jeeps and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I've been four-wheel driving with them where well, they're doing like 80, 90 kilometers an hour on a beach. <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> and when did you first come to Vietnam? My first time, I was a kid, the very first time, so I don't remember
2: what year. Maybe around 10, 11 years old. Came out here with my parents and my family just to visit my parents' homeland. I didn't know what to expect. I was young. When I first came here, there was a lot of dirt roads. I was in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. I have very fond memories of how underdeveloped Vietnam was, and it was very interesting to me because I think that was the very first time that I was outside the country, and just to see how things are outside the U.S., you know, really opens your mind, so... That was the very first time I came out here. That was almost 20 years ago. And then now
1: the next time I was back was 2016. So let's talk about your university experience first. Did you get a scholarship offer? Is that how you got to the university?
2: Yeah. At first, you know, any Asian parents want you to go to the best school possible. You know, want you to get a degree and stuff and stable job. So basketball wasn't on my mind coming out of high school. It wasn't until... That summer after my senior year was where I started to realize that maybe I have a chance to play college basketball. So I didn't really take it seriously until around that time, maybe a little bit before the summer going into my senior year of high school is when I started playing like the AU basketball, the club basketball outside to try to get more attention and try to get better. So college basketball wasn't on my mind, but at the same time, it was something that I can actually look forward to going into my senior year of high school. I know there was rumors that I was actually good enough to continue on playing my career. So even though Division One, Division Two were probably not possible, there was Division Three basketball, which was around on my level. And the Division Three school that I went to was, there was no athletic scholarship, but they do give academic scholarships and that's what I got. It was a partial academic scholarship, thanks to my good grades in high school. So that was what I got when I went to college
1: and played. Okay. And uh, your first year in college playing, let's talk purely about uh, how was that experience for you? You know, my first thought
2: was, you know, I, I get to continue playing basketball, which not a lot of kids can say they can, can do after high school. So I was really grateful. But at the same time, you know, as a freshman coming into a new program, I had to work, you know, again, all that, all that work. I had to continue to work harder to earn the respect of my teammates, the coaching staff and everybody again. So it was a new experience for me, for sure. But, you know, basketball is the same wherever you go. So that's something that I took with me through my high school days and continue to just work on my game, you know. And my first year was, you know, kind of rough, up and down, new coaching staff, new coaching style, new teammates, not knowing if I would fit into the team, not knowing if I would fit into just school in general. So basketball was the main thing that kept me motivated, kept me going throughout the school years. But... It was great. It was college, first year, freshman year, first time out of your parents' home. It was
1: fun. All in all. yeah. Okay. And after that first year, second year, it looks like from looking at the what I could see online, you, you played a lot more minutes and you felt like you had a, a regular spot on the team and they sort of knew who you were and trusted you.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that summer I really worked hard, just trying to get more minutes, how to compete. And that's something that kept me going is the competitive nature I have with basketball and trying to earn my spot as not only more minutes, but also starting five possibly. And, you know, I'll took a lot of myself to try to get to that spot, you know, during the summer preseason, all that stuff it was hard work, but I think it paid off. Like you said, I had more minutes,
1: a bigger role on the team. And I think it's just attributes to what I am competitively. Mm-hmm. So you played four years at college, which year would you say was the best team year, like the year your team did the best?
2: Definitely my junior year, my third year, we were ranked nationally. I think the highest we got was 15th in the country, which I don't think our school champion has ever done. We did go to the big dance that year, the the NCAA tournament, because of, I think it was an at-large bid. Sorry, no, it was an at-large bid. We won the conference championship that year, so we got an automatic bid. I mean, That was another experience. That was crazy, but that third year was definitely most memorable.
1: Yeah. And, and like, if I look at the stats here, like not from a basketball person, it looks like basically to hear that you've given up how many shots you were taking per game. So you sacrificed some of your personal achievements you could get. But like you said, it was your best team year. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a trait that you have as a basketball player?
2: Definitely. For me, personally, I don't look at stats as like something that I need to be a good player. You look at guys like Draymond Green in the NBA, and I think that's a big comparison of what I am as a player. I get players involved. I get play defense. I, I do all the little things to try to help a team win. And I think I've learned that since college. That's when I became that kind of glue guy, I guess, the defensive role mm-hmm. player that people look up to. You know, and, you know, offensively, you know, I may struggle at times, but that's something that's going to be constant is defense. And that's what I strive for to be perfect. That is that defensive player for the team that they can
1: rely on someone to stop their best player. Yeah, absolutely. I think every coach, coach would say that they want that player. They mm-hmm. want that player on the team. Like not everyone can be Kobe taking all the shots, making all the points. Mm-hmm. Like You need everyone. And it's a real teamwork thing, right? Yeah. Mm hmm. In your fourth year, like obviously you progressed and you started every game that season. What were your last sort of memories of that year? I'd say that my third year was the best
2: year that we had as a team, but the fourth year, I believe that we were the closest since we've been with each other for four years now. And we're seniors, the leaders on the team. We had a pretty cohesive group, guys. We were, I believe, in the league. First or second, we were tied or something like that first, I think. And then... Although we didn't win the championship in the conference tournament, we came in second, We lost to Claremont McKenna. I still remember that. So we were hoping for an at-large bid at the worst, but that season didn't go the way we hoped that it went. So it was really disappointing for us as seniors, but that was definitely the most cohesive group of guys that we've had as a team. And it showed on the court, you know. I think even though we had our best year, the third year, our, our fourth year was more fun on the court. We were just playing freely and we knew how each other played and it was just fun being with each other on the court
1: during that year. Yeah, if we're speaking about things in a non... Like, to explain this to non-basketball people, Mm -hmm. I think... Something that I personally love about basketball is the relationships and how you, you sort of mesh together to form one sort of cohesive sort of ball of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And like you work together to achieve a common goal, which I think if you're someone who doesn't play sport or never played team sport, you never really develop those skills. And I feel like those are skills that you definitely need as an adult moving mm-hmm. to other things like yes. work. Yes, I totally agree. Okay. So you finished your college career. How did you get recruited to come over here?
2: A lot of it is luck and timing. So when I graduated 2015, I was gonna take a gap year from school, regardless whether I played basketball or not. I was applying for a physical therapy school, a graduate school and decided to take a year off and apply for a 2016 semester, fall semester. So that one year I was just continuing to work out and play basketball for fun and stuff. But then I got a call from my ex assistant coach at that time in college. And he said there was a tryout for this Vietnamese basketball league that's that's that is coming up. And that was, I guess, spring of 2016. So I went to tryouts and it was in Southern California. It was Orange, in Orange County, close to where I live. So it's like, might as well go out Perfect, right? So I tried out and pretty much Killed the competition out there. And the coaches at the time, he was the national team coach that was there. There was a couple players that were playing at the time that was there to check us out. And, I mean, all the coaches loved me. So I was immediately offered a position in one of the teams out here in Vietnam, starting the league in 2016. So it happened kind of pretty fast. and I was super excited about it. Like I was pumped up that I get to continue playing basketball and also become a professional basketball player now which now many people can say after college basketball so so it was all happened by chance. If it was a year earlier, I was still in school. I wouldn't have made it. If it was a year later, I would have been in school and graduate school because, so it's all that timing that worked out, everything happened at the right time. And if it happened a year before or after, I will probably would not have made it out here because I would have just been in school and there was no chance for me to come out here.
1: Yeah. You would focused on that, right? Yeah. That seems like the grown up thing to yeah, do Yeah, yeah. this classic <laughs> dream. So just to be clear, that was the inaugural first year of the professional league in yeah. Vietnam. Yes. So yeah, it's very cool to think you're a part of that, piece of that. Obviously, you came over as a heritage import the first year, is that correct? Right, right, right. right, right. So can you explain what that is? Um, Yeah, so our league, in our first few years, each team
2: had a, a spot for one world import, which was anyone from any country, and also one spot for heritage players, heritage imports, which the player must have one or both parents that were born in Vietnam. Uh, Both my parents were born in Vietnam, so I applied to that rule, and so I was considered a heritage player.
1: Yeah. Cool. It's cool. And then, yeah, it must be very exciting to be able to come back to your country, your parents' country, and play the game that you love. That must be very exciting. Obviously, you'd been to Vietnam before that, but when you came back as a basketball player, what were your first impressions upon entering Vietnam then, like in 2016? At first, I mean, I, I I knew what Vietnam was like, already, right? So there was not,
2: no culture shock for me. I understand the street food. I understand the people driving motorbikes. I understand all the personality that people had. What I was shocked about was I didn't know basketball was a thing out here in Vietnam. So when I was out here as a professional basketball player, no one who knew what that is. And I didn't realize that basketball, there, was, there wasn't there was even a sport of basketball in Vietnam. There was like so basketball. Right. I was, I was shocked in that aspect where I would go to practice and there would be basketball courts. People There was actually kids, some kids that were playing basketball. Obviously not as much as today, but uh, there were kids, you know, holding basketball, uh, knowing how to play basketball. There's grown-ups that play pickup games once in a while. And so I was kind of surprised at that point where, you know, it could be a really big thing. Basketball, you know, there's a, there's a pretty young population out here in Vietnam that still likes to be active and stuff and find some sport to play. So.
1: Yeah, totally. I think basketball has a benefit for growth in the fact that it's a cool sport, right? Yes. Like all the famous players are very visible. Mm -hmm. Like you think of the NBA, even if you're not into basketball at all, you would have heard of Steph Curry, you've heard of Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant, you've heard of LeBron James. Mm Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant, all these guys, it's so plant centric and you see their faces are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool, right? Everyone wants to be a basketballer or a rapper, right? That's that's (laughs) the the gem, right? Yeah. I had a similar thing when I was telling my friends about the offer for me to come here Mm -hmm. to coach. My friends are like, they play basketball in Vietnam? Like, (laughs) didn't they just have a war there? I'm like, that was 30 (laughs) years ago. Come on now. And then, yeah, they said, oh, are you just going to be like training on like grass, concrete courts or whatever, (laughs) on dirt courts? And I'm like... No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, the first basketball courts that I saw in Vietnam were at Eunice, <laughs> which you would know are probably some of the nicer ones, you know, yeah. getting in the night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty good. Pretty good. still miss the nice wooden courts from back oh, home. Way. But I'm sure you get the same back in Cali. Yeah. So your first year, you come over and you were based in Saigon for that first year?
2: Yeah, I was. Ho Chi Minh City Wings. I asked them to put me in a big city. So, preferably Saigon. So, I mean, there's two teams in Saigon. Saigon Heat and Ho Chi Minh City Wings. And Saigon Heat already had a heritage guy. So, they put me in Ho Chi Minh City Wings. Which, I mean, it was a a great time. (laughs) First time living outside the country. Mm -hmm. And living in a big city
1: like Ho Chi Minh City. It was great. So... So how did that first season go? Like personally, like as being a professional uh, and that sort of stuff. I was like excited,
2: super excited for everything that happened. Like every new experience, I just took that into my heart. And until now, I still remember it. So, I mean, the fans, it was, it was funny. The very first game that we had, the fans had no idea what was going on. Pretty much had to teach the fans how to behave in a game. So fans would be clapping for both teams anytime they scored basket. So there was really no whole court advantage, but it was fun. Like it was a new experience for me watching this new sport coming into Vietnam and people not knowing about the sport and having to learn how to watch it and understand it. And me being one of the pioneers of the league is definitely another thing that I don't take it for granted for sure. But that first year, sure, it went by so fast. I mean, every game that we had, every practice that we had, it was very memorable. I mean, our team was really good, it was pretty much stacked. We lost in the finals, uh, unfortunately, but I, I think that was a very great learning experience for me. I was super excited to come back for the second season. And I just took that going to the next season. And with that, all that excitement again.
1: And obviously, your experience is going to be different from other people's for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're going to tell someone to move to Vietnam, what would you tell them about Vietnam? How would you persuade them? Um, just have an open mind. I think a lot of people outside the country that have never been here have a
2: pretty closed mind about the country of Vietnam. Many people I've talked to back home in the U.S. have never been outside the U.S. Uh, don't have an open mind and think that Vietnam is still very underdeveloped. third world. I mean, I don't think Vietnam is a third world country anymore. It's pretty much going after second. Yeah, so they still think it's an underdeveloped rural country. There's still dirt roads, violence on the streets and stuff like that. And so I just tell them to have an open mind. Come visit for a week and I guarantee you it's going to change your mind. Every foreigner that I've talked to that has lived here or passed by here has said Vietnam's one of my favorite countries and I would definitely move back here to work. So just definitely have an open mind and be open to the cultures that exist outside your own home country.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure like... Lots of Americans would say, I definitely know this. I grew up in a small country town, Mm -hmm. not near a big city. It was like 12,000 people in my town. And so I did all my schooling there, and then I graduated high school and moved to the city. I have friends who stayed in the town and got married within two or three years. Mm -hmm. And now they have kids who are like 15, 16. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And they never lived anywhere else. They only lived in that town. Definitely uh, go explore. Yeah, 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 I think I think travel opens your eyes and you feel you get to develop more as a person. I think sure, sure. you learn more stuff. Like not everything's one At way. School, yeah. Not everything is learned in school, I say.
2: So, you know, when I have kids or even to other kids as a role model or someone that people ask questions, just explore different cultures. It could be a different city. Just go to a different city. Go meet different people. I think it would open your mind a lot more and, and definitely change you as a person.
1: Absolutely. I think there are definite pockets of stuff living abroad where you could spend all your time hanging people from your own country. For me as an Australian in Indonesia, Bali is just full of Australians. (laughs) Uh, And it's it's like $60 US return flight from my home city to there. So like everyone just goes there and it's because it's so cheap, everyone goes there. It's probably the closest flight, right? Closest flight from Australia, right? Into Closest regular flight, closest, yeah. closest cheapest flight. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember going there and hating it because, like, one, there's just Australians everywhere, and then two, all the locals are just saying like "good day, mate," like, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, ah, I want to be a, I want to be a weird nobody that no one wants to talk to. Yeah. Just, oh, where are you from? Like, i want that. I don't want. Oh, good day, mate. Would you like some vegemite? Like, no, I don't want that. I've had a friend back home ask me if the food in Vietnam is the same as the food in Bali. Oh my god. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no man, there's uh McDonald's is different. Yeah. <laughs> so you finished the first year and then in your second year did you stay in Saigon like, or oh, did you move up to I moved to Hanoi my second year. I played for the Tonong Warriors now, then and still
2: now to this day. I decided not to go back to the Ho Chi Minh City mainly because there was a whole restructuring of the organization. The general manager was not there. The whole team is gonna be disbanded. And so I didn't want to go back into a, a team that going to restart again all new again but you know irony of it is that i went to a team that's completely brand new at first during the draft my hope was i was going to go to the hanoi Buffaloes because that same year 2017 i played for them in the thai league there was a thailand super league that hanoi Buffaloes has competed in in 2017 so i wanted to play for that coach again but you know Things didn't work out the way it's supposed to go, just like Vietnam is. Uh, yeah. So they're in a draft. The new team, Calum Warriors, had the first pick, so they picked me up as their first pick. And the rest is history. I mean, I won that. I won a championship that first year, two thousand seventeen. So couldn't ask for a better situation, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, like new team with the championship. Well, that's great. That's yeah. great. And obviously, you played every year since. That's been the you know, only championship you've won, but you won. That you've been back to the finals how many other times? A third time in two thousand twenty. 2020 was
2: the third time. Mm-hmm. This year is a 70, 300, five years. Last year, I don't really count because of COVID. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about it briefly. Mm-hmm. But uh, during COVID, you were in a bubble. So paying like you and all the other professional basketballers and all the staff, mm-hmm. and you're playing in like a bubble in a league. What was that like?
2: Oh, I mean, we we watched abroad, you know, the NBA, how they did their bubble in the Disney World during COVID. And so I think they were to trying to copy something like that. Definitely wasn't anything like Disney World. Uh, (laughs) Stayed in a hotel 24, actually not 24-7. A couple hours we got to go out to practice at the gym and play the games. It was a beautiful city. It was in Nga Chang. Unfortunately, we couldn't even go out to the beach, which was literally five-minute walking. We can see the beach. So it was a tease every day, but at that time, me personally hated it. I'm sure a lot of the players and coaches and everybody who was in there also hated it just because we were away from family during the toughest times probably anyone would have ever. But the only good thing that was happening there was basketball. I mean, it was due to basketball. We were still there with our teammates and people that we were close to. We got to hang out with them 24-7 pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Could be from a different team as well. But the whole organization was, I mean, at the time, I thought it was crazy. Like, we had sometimes practice 30 minutes, sometimes we don't have practice. The court was indoor court in the hotel was messed up timing was crazy there's covid testing almost every day it was a mess but you know looking back at it it was probably one of the best solutions that we had during tough times last year
1: yeah like you're talking about it being not the best but obviously there are darker things happening out of places of the world yeah you know, with covid and stuff yeah so it's all relative i guess but you can't really experience what you're in right you can't really empathize one of the things that struck me is that you could be there for other people in that sort of situation because you were sort of stuck where you were, right? Mm. I had that sort of experience in terms of living abroad and then being at funerals for someone that I cared about that I know for a long time back home and then not being able to return, one, mm. but, for all these reasons. Mm. And then, two, I think the biggest thing about funerals and stuff when it's about them is being there for, for other people, right? Mm. And it's the same thing. You're stuck in that situation. You can't be there for other people. You can't... Yes. Yeah. Have you ever done a scene a break off track? Have you ever done a Zoom shear? No, I have not. I have not? That's something new. I've never heard about either. Yeah. Yeah. I've done one. It was, it was very weird. Mm-hmm. I bet you you've never been asked that question before also. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not have. Yeah. Yeah. I remember doing that and it feeling very weird and you feel disjointed for yeah, yeah, obvious yeah. reasons of and then yeah it was over but i felt more emotional watching this funeral than when i got told the news mm-hmm. just because you're apart from things and it's a bit more surreal yeah mm-hmm. okay back to, back to basketball yeah. less dead so during this time you started playing for the vietnamese national team mm-hmm. is that right yes so i first joined the national team in 2019
2: Yeah. C games, it was C games 30 in the Philippines. So yeah, 2019.
1: Okay. And uh, what was your experience like playing for the national team for the first time?
2: It was an honor. It was a great honor just to represent the flag. Crazy how when I was younger, I would never have imagined. First of all, playing professional basketball. Second, playing on a national team. I didn't think I was good enough to play on any national team. So, you know, to, to be considered on a national team and playing for the country where my parents came from was definitely a huge honor. Great experience. I was probably one of the best the times I've had as a professional athlete was to play in the national team that year, 2019. And how did you guys go with that tournament? We got bronze medal in the SEA Games. We, so first was Philippines, a second was Thailand at that time. And so we lost to Thailand in semis and beat Indonesia for bronze medal that year. First medal ever in Vietnam history, basketball over 60 years, I think, something crazy like that. Uh, so that was very successful. I think in my books as the national team of Vietnam, I pretty much shocked everyone in the whole region, Southeast Asia, that a bunch of us, I guess, Vietnamese Americans and Vietnamese
1: locals can come together and compete at a high level for Vietnam. Yeah, like, let's about national teams for a second. I remember when I first got the job offer to come across here to coach, I registered just, just doing some googling about the VBA mm-hmm. and about the Vietnam national team for basketball. And I think when I looked at it at the time, you were ranked like 126th in the world yeah. <laughs> for the men's rankings. Australia was second. <laughs> and to give you a point of difference, I think Seychelles was the spot after you which I think is this tiny no African country of like 500,000 people. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> the yeah, country you've yeah. never heard of <laughs> is Vietnam's just better than in a basketball. And were you the the captain in that 2019 team? Uh, I guess so. I,
2: I mean, I think they appointed me captain. I don't remember. Uh, but I always see myself as like the voice of the team because I'm pretty vocal uh, on and off the corner for the national team. So I guess I was appointed captain at the time and still to this day, I think. And what does it mean to you to be able to be the captain of Vietnam in specialty? I mean, I'm just honored to be part of the national team. So me being as a captain, I think it's definitely another, you know, it's a it's a big honor to be considered a captain. But I just see myself as a captain instinctively, I guess. You don't have to call me the captain. I just do it because that's my role on the team. I feel like that's what I am for the players and for the team and for the coaching staff. And if you call me captain, okay, I mean, that's great to be named that. But I'm always that person in any team I play for. I'm very vocal on and off the court about things that I do like and I don't like. And I just make sure everything is for the team and for the best of the team.
1: Yeah, totally. I, like as someone who's watched you play around you, I would say you're very focused and professional. And if people don't bring the same attitude and ethic, you don't have pretty have time. for them.
2: Yes. That's what I've learned. You know, professional basketball or any professional sport is pretty new to Vietnam, unless you're a football player. So trying to bring that professionalism and just that work ethic from where I've been in the U.S. to here, it's a definitely something that I've been working on my seven years here, six years here. Yeah. It's definitely something that I need to try to instill in these guys. But at the end of the day, it's on them. Like I can tell them however much I want to do for them to help them in their careers, but it's up to them to learn or get better at their
1: craft. Yeah. Like. I think some people have heard you basketball. So, oh, people just, just shoot and have, have fun and run around. <laughs> you know? oh, he's big, that's why he's good at basketball. The guys who make it to the, the top, top levels, they're putting hours upon hours upon hours of work mm-hmm. that you don't see on the court. Mm-hmm. Like You don't see it on the court. You see that on the training. You see that before training. Like <laughs> training. Okay, so from your first year when it was the inaugural year to, let's say, your third year and then to this year. Can you think of any specific sort of examples of professionalism and how it was approached by, by the teams in the squad?
2: From the first to third year, I took it very seriously because I was still relatively new. The league is still relatively new. So I just try to be there and just lead by example, I guess, of how you're supposed to be as a, not just a basketball player, but as a professional athlete. You present yourself as a professional worker. You're, you're pretty much a guy who works for a company. So if you want to do well and perform well and please the boss or whatever and try to get a better pay, then you have to act like a professional, right? And just do your best at the job that they gave you. And the first three years, I took that really seriously. I tried to instill it in these young guys who, who were coming in to the league and guys who have ever worked before for a big company. So I took that to heart and in the next few years, third to the sixth year, I started to see that it's based on the culture and, and how the people are raised out here. People are not born playing a sport growing up out here. It's not a priority for kids, so they don't take it as seriously as I take it or any other athlete would take growing up outside of Vietnam. So it was very hard for me to try to persuade them to take it professionally when they grew up as a, you know, school first, school first. And these young kids growing up all oh, day, had to go to school 24, seven, pretty much. And so sports was secondary and the parents don't want them to play. It's a big thing that we had to try to change for these parents. If you want a sport like basketball to continue growing in Vietnam, because we need these young guys to come up the
1: next generation to pick up where we left off when we retire. Right, totally. fairly. I find it a bit confronting as well and annoying and then I walk a line with it at times where you're trying to encourage good habits and good culture, but then you're in the same way you want to respect the culture that's already here yeah. so like you're not coming in to put it down, yeah, to yeah. insult it, right? Like I find that can be quite hard as, as a coach with some things. <laughs> also, I think it's a bit weird in Vietnam that basically for a lot of kids, especially in the North. Basketball is court higher and that sort of stuff is very expensive, mm-hmm. and so generally a lot of the kids who play ball there from from wealthy areas and they have to pay to play. Mm-hmm. So with that, there's a different sort of mindset involved with it. Mm-hmm. Where I grew up, we get like higher level coaching and stuff. And in the home city, you get high level coaching, but it's all free. So like the highest level I coached in Australia prior to coming here, state level, and being kids and the community in the club that I worked for was from my a poorer socioeconomic area Mm -hmm. and so all the kids that i coached basically most of them were all like first generation australians so the kids from sudan uh Uh, malaysia south africa like a real mm -hmm. un of a team and uh because nothing was given to them and they had to grit and grind it so much more that their love for it was really there and the work ethic was really there whereas if your parents are just paying for it it's in further, you don't, oh, my parents are paying for this. What well, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a disconnect for that. dude not Okay. So talk about that professional attitude and stuff when it comes to preparing for sports and stuff. How do you like mentally prepare to play? I mean, I've been doing it for so long now. I don't really know how to explain
2: it in, like, in words, <laughs> how I mentally prepare. You know, I just, during the day, I just picture how I'm going to play during the game, what the, what the game plan is for the other team and just go through my regular routine. I have a a game day routine that I do every game day. Let's say for this season, I go, I wake up, eat breakfast, go to shoot around in the morning usually, and then come back for lunch and then just relax and eat another snack four hours before a game. Uh, I don't take naps, so I eat a snack four hours before the game, get myself prepared, stretch a little bit in my apartment, and then head out for the game an hour and a half before. I get to the game, get to the get to the court and do my pregame warm-up stuff by myself. And throughout that whole time, I, I just have to just picture what's what's going to happen in the game and all that stuff and just block out any distractions that, that may be, you know, that may be there during that day or before whatever happened. Try to distract it and just focus on the game that, that's kind of come that night. And that's usually what my game day routine
1: is. And that goes from the night before I sleep to the game day to tip off. Okay, let's talk about three more quick things about basketball and then we'll ask some different questions. What would you say your career highlight in college was? Career highlight, mm, I don't know if I really have one. I'm not really a highlight type
2: guy. One thing that does pop up in my mind is I did dunk on somebody in college. I don't remember what year, maybe my junior year or senior year. I did dunk on somebody, that it was, it was a great feeling. I think that was the
1: first time I did it on anybody in my career. So I'd say that's my highlight of my college <laughs> career. I think I already know the answer to this one. What about your career highlight playing here in Vietnam, in the professional league here?
2: In the professional league or just in general in basketball? And Let's just say in Vietnam, we'll leave it open. Definitely winning a medal for SEA Games for the national team. That was probably the best feeling I ever had. It was 2019 in the Philippines, holding up the two medals I got, the two bronze medals I got, one for 3x3 and one for 5 5 Definitely a very prideful moment. For me i almost teared up <laughs> but
1: i held in my emotions <laughs> it's okay cry, mate. I'm yeah. all about crying, mate. <laughs> okay so if you were not a professional basketball player what would justin young be doing i'd probably not be in vietnam to be honest i'd be back home
2: being a physical therapist for some business working eight to five doing the same stuff over and over again which sounds boring but you know gets paid and
1: gets the job done and just live a normal life. <laughs> Some people would say basketball is just the same stuff. I forget it as well.
2: True, but that's something that you love. I mean, something that you love and you don't need to work from eight to five.
1: <laughs> right, right. What's the thing? It's like, yeah, you love what you're doing and you never get yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's change the tone. Hi. So you were married? Yeah, I'd say so. In, in Vietnam, I guess I'm
2: considered married since after having the engagement ceremony considered a married man well you're you're, in,
1: you're engaged at least engaged, so, yes yes engaged. okay and how did you meet your wife in fiance
2: <clears throat> through basketball she's a long time silent heat fan she works for their parent company and she works marketing there so marketing and like communications that kind of stuff and so she was playing an event for Sea games after we came back to vietnam there was a gala dinner that she organized and everyone attended I think that was the first time I actually like met her and met her. Well, there was a time before for a video shoot that she was there and she wanted to see my medal and my like, bronze medal and stuff. And I'd let her see it. Like <laughs> but then the second time I met her was at that gala dinner. And so that's when I first, you know, really got interested in. It. It just, just, you know, I asked her out for lunch. Oh, she asked me out for lunch first. It was just a casual print thing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I asked her out for dinner. And that
1: started it off. There <laughs> you go. There you go. I was a bit confused because... Were you on a Vietnamese dating show? I was too. That was... Was So like
2: Vietnamese bachelor? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you know, showbiz in Vietnam is showbiz. And I think the same as anywhere else in the world, um, more for popularity, more for your image and stuff like that. They say everything was not scripted. She chose by herself, but I think somehow in the end, it's somehow still kind of scripted.
1: (laughs) Okay. And did she choose you in the end? Yeah, she did. She did. So I did win the episode. Let me guess, the questions are like, oh, why are you so tall? Anything like that? Or was it? Stuff like that,
2: yeah. che- Cheesy, cheesy stuff. Cheesy yeah. stuff, yeah. And it was all Vietnamese, so I couldn't really understand what was going on until it was my turn and they would translate in English. But I just stood there for pretty much most of the time. How, how is your Vietnamese, would you say? Oh, it's getting better. Ever since 2016, it's gotten a lot better. I can understand a lot more now. Speaking, I'm still kind of shy to say some stuff, but you know, I try to say some stuff in phrases. I don't know how to say sentences yet. Phrases I understand
1: and phrases I can speak a little bit to my teammates. So.
2: Yeah, I would say you learn basketball the
1: Vietnamese, right?
2: Basketball Vietnamese, but also you know, hanging out with more Vietnamese people and just staying out here longer, doing some business with the people, and then taking some classes here and there, Vietnamese classes here and there. I, I got <laughs> <this>. <laughs> Yeah, I've learned to they'll pick up some words here and there.
1: Yeah, there's a funny thing where I've learned some some basketball Vietnamese, which mm-hmm. helps, especially when you're coaching kids. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be saying the things Vietnamese and the parents come up afterwards and tell me to speak in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I could do, but then the kids don't understand mm-hmm. most of the time. And then I like to think now my accent is more neutral-ish. <laughs> uh, but when I first came... My accent was very strong, uh, but like I've never lived anywhere else, so yeah, it's yeah, going to be really Australian. That's what's funny. So your plan after your playing career finishes, are you going to be here? Or are you going to be in America? Yeah, for short-term goals, I'd probably be here just as long as I
2: get my stuff worked out here business-wise and stuff like that. just try to get a stable income, stable life out here first. And Maybe we haven't talked about it yet. Well, we've been talking about it, but we haven't made a decision yet. But when we have kids, I don't know if we're gonna move back to the U.S. or not to raise our kids back there or here.
1: That's still up in the air. But for sure, in the near future, it's gonna be here in Vietnam. So I always, of questions that we have to ask every guest. Mm-hmm. So we asked you the, the positive of why you would persuade someone to come to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. What about the flip side of that? Why would you persuade someone to not come to Vietnam? I don't, I don't know. Well, There's nothing, nothing that can say bad about Vietnam. I would think there's certain people don't have an open mind. I'm not open minded enough right. to be able to deal with certain things in Vietnam. Yeah, I
2: guess so. Something that I don't like, I guess the easy way to go is something I still can't comprehend out here is there's no personal space they don't, they don't respect your personal space out here. So if you're waiting in line, they would be literally on your back, just breathing down your neck, stuff like that. What else? Traffic I've gotten to like actually. <laughs> for for people coming in, yeah, the traffic would be pretty bad. There's no laws out here, traffic laws. So
1: that's something that, you know, if you were to come here, just be worried about, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things I've done was my first year, I was at an event here with you and J1 Hill was the American import on the team. He was on the back of my bike. And J1's about what, six, seven, six, seven, six, yeah. seven, six eight. Big guy. I'm not tiny, by maybe the 7 I'm 6'3". Uh-huh. I'm on the bike. We're driving along and I would say we're going fast, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of man on that bike <laughs> and this girl pulls out without looking like a foot in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I take my hand off the accelerator. I didn't want to swerve to the left and get hit by a car or anything coming from behind because i were in two lanes. So I keep my left hand on the, the brake. The, oh, the handle right? the handle? My handle, yeah. And then with my right hand, I just pretty much just reach her and I palm off her, her <laughs> left her left handle, so just sort of smash her handle and she just sort of veers off and then like I keep driving. So like, I just sort of like I don't like I sort of d like, I don't argue her with her that <laughs> while driving because I'm like, Well, if I crash and the American airport gets injured <laughs> I will lose my job very quickly. And I think that's why J1 loves me. Shout out to Joe Wow That's crazy (laughs) Okay What are some common scams That you've heard of in Vietnam? Common scams
2: I mean taxi drivers That's probably the main thing Like taxi drivers would probably Especially as a foreigner, as a foreigner, and they know you're a foreigner, they'll probably drive you around around the block a couple of times without you knowing if you don't or not go directions. And your first time there, they they take you around and hike up the price or they don't use the meter at all. And they just tell you a price before you get in the taxi is definitely higher than what it's supposed to be. But people don't know it if you're not from here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what the local people told me. When I got here, so I was aware of it. Definitely holding your phone out in the streets, too. You know, people would, I don't know if it's not, it's not scam, but people would just go out, steal phones and stuff like that. I just be very cautious of what you wear on the streets and stuff. That's the only thing I pretty much heard of in terms of scams. But yeah. Okay. There's
1: probably a lot more I just don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I always tell anyone who's coming in, I'm like, like grab. Yes. Yeah. Download, grab. But then the weird thing with grab is that you need a phone number. Yeah. So it's like, like grab, and they get a SIM card. To get, yeah. <laughs> but. What happened when my parents come is like, oh, uh, we'll pay for all the meals and stuff, but you organize all the transport. I'm like, okay, cool. We just go back to personal spacing for a moment. So yeah, you're 6'5". 6'4". 6'4", I'm 6'3". I think... People will see me and then allow space for me to get by, but they presume that I'm 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> and so that size difference between is rather different. Yeah, And yeah, as a, as a six foot three guy here, yeah, the only Vietnamese that I've met in Vietnam that are the same height or taller than me, all professional basketballers. Yeah. Which, yeah, I think would be the universal thing all around. Do people presume that you're Vietnamese when you see them? That Vietnamese
2: people, we don't they, no, no. they see me, first thing they ask me if, is if I'm Korean. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Korean is the first thing and next would be probably like Chinese or Japanese, but definitely not Vietnamese, but they do ask me in Vietnamese. So I understand <laughs> what they say. And when I answer them back in Vietnamese, they're like, oh, wow. Okay. So you're Vietnamese. And I say, yeah, I'm from America, American Vietnamese, so VQ. VQ. V- yeah, VQ. Vietnamese
1: are born abroad. That's how it is. Okay. Yes. I always get. That's where I'm from. And I'll say, I try to say Vietnamese, but I always mess it up or I'm going to say wrong well, with my accent or well, they just don't understand me. Mm-hmm. I'll say, because uh, Australia is uh, ok, or ok, yeah. ok. But I'll say it with the wrong tone. And mm-hmm. if you say it slightly wrong, it goes to like, like, which is like snail. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get lots of weird looks sometimes. Yeah. I'm not from snail. <laughs> okay. What's something that you've heard about Vietnam that's not true? I mean, Vietnamese is a dirty country. Vietnamese is underdeveloped. That's what I hear a
2: lot from my friends. And I mean, it's dirty in some places, but most of the places it's gotten a lot better. So
1: that's definitely not true in terms of that. Yeah, I think you could sort of cherry pick that in any country, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like okay. I could show you streets in Australia that are horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. What question would you like to ask the next guest? Just your personal story
2: and how you got here to Vietnam, pretty much. And how did you make a life out here in Vietnam yourself? All
1: right. This will be the last question. Yeah. Our last question. If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? Good question. I mean, I'd describe a person that's cheap. <laughs> cheap? <laughs> cheap and short?
2: <laughs> cheap and a very, very calming and relaxing lifestyle. So you'd be a very cheap but very cool person. Because everyone here is really, really friendly. Everyone smiles at you, no matter who you are and where you come from. Just very friendly people. I guess.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, that's good. Okay, Justin Young, is there anything you would like to, to promote? promote?
2: Nothing really, just promote my own brand, I guess, Justin Young. If you guys want to follow my Instagram or my Facebook,
1: Instagram at Young 12 Facebook. It's my name yeah the, the links to that we'll put them in the show yeah, notes no yeah, yeah. like problem yeah you can go down and, and watch justin play basketball yeah come on watch me play the
2: season's gonna end in early september well the playoffs end in early september so we got a couple more months to watch me play a few more games up here in hanoi and a few more games down in saigon if you're in danang we have one game each in those cities so yeah come on and watch come and support all right awesome thank you very much justin young thank you paul for, for inviting me and in. For being part of the show, it was a pleasure. No problems. Cheers.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free. When you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash smb just again for those hard of hearing nordvpn.com forward slash smb the link is also in the show notes i know nobody checks them out but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast